You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. So I want to again welcome you to our church. It's awesome to sing with you, worship with you um, as we start for us the month of April and continue along in our series, which we're calling Understanding the Story of Scripture um, or uh, Hearing the Word, Understanding the Story of Scripture, where we are going week by week, let's kind of build out in pieces what is God doing and how is He doing it. So you're getting really flyover um, throughout the year of significant moments uh, as we have been going through our reading plan together. Um, and as we have been memorizing passages together. So uh, if you've stuck with us at any clip, you are doing great. Just, you know, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant, however you want me to say that. Uh, You guys have been great. And uh, we have just finished week 14. And the reading for week 14, and the memory verse for week 14, which was Psalm 1914, which is kind of like a breather verse for some of us. You know, we'd had these big chunks the week prior, and everyone feels like they're the worst scripture memorizers in the world. Then we go, okay, you know, softball shows up, Psalm 1914, uh, which, if you're going along with the translation we have on our website or that we put on our Facebook page, goes like this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my Hard. Now, you might go pleasing, but be acceptable, pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yeah, that's right. So um, that's a pretty good prayer, just to pray basically at any time of the day, at any moment at all, if we could just lift that up and go, Lord, may the things I'm saying and the things I'm thinking about deeply please you. May they be the things that you care about. That would be one that really at any given time of the day, we could pray for both ourselves and for one another, and it would never go empty. So even if you're going, man, I'm really struggling to pray, I just go, hey, if you need help, like pray for your community group leader, pray for your elders, pray for deacons, pray for your family. Just if you don't know what to pray, just pray Psalm 1914, just that verse. You know, may what they, what they say and what they think about, what they meditate upon, might it be acceptable, acceptable to God? Now, uh, anybody usually up to see a sunrise? Yeah, like, are, you, are you emotional, sentimental? Brad is. Yeah, like you like sunrises. They look cool. Uh, and, you know, it's weird because pollution makes sunrises look prettier because, like, you know, all the stuff in the sky. So we'll not add that part to it. But, like, sunrises, they look nice. Um, and we like the colors and it kind of reminds us, okay, there's a new day. And we can think of that passage perhaps as mercies are new every morning, and we're just reminded again, God is good, things are happening. And so sun comes up, it's done that every day since creation, hasn't not come up. And so it's kind of cool the way God even builds into the created order reminders of his mercy and his grace reminders of hope that it's built in, baked into what we see in this world. It's not just a sunrise, right? It's a reminder of what God is doing. It's a reminder of his creation. It's a reminder of his goodness. That is not something that we often will dwell upon. We're just like, oh, shut the blinds, right? Like hotels need blackout curtains. We don't want to know about the sunrise. We want to sleep till 11, 12, 1, 2, 3 if we're in a hotel. Like I remember one time in ninth grade, I had a, basically a blackout curtain. It was, um, my grandmother made it out of denim, and a denim curtain, which is really trendy if you guys uh, didn't know that. 
And yet God is trying to go, look, look at what is alive. Look at what is going on. Look at what I am doing. We all, you and I, always need reminders in life. The ones that are built in, I'm going to do this again. Acres, I was giving you a hard time last week because you messed with this mic. You put it on the left ear, and then you were teaching the kids, so I couldn't make fun of you in person, but I just said, there you go. I love you, bro. I love you. And I have been working on this for about an hour. We need reminders that things are not hopeless. We need reminders that there is going to be something new. We need reminders that out of darkness comes light. And we can be pretty good at this from time to time and how we view our lives and how we might view the Christian calendar, right? We, we, we might go, okay, yeah, like incarnation. Right? Like Christmas time is awesome because light comes into the world. The true light come into this world. The world did not receive him. The world did not know him. But time and time again, as we have been reading our reading plan, we're seeing time and time, there's God working. There's God doing. There's God building. And what we will do today is that same theme, but we'll see it uniquely in the book of Ruth. The whole book of Ruth. We will see it. So often, because Ruth is four chapters, it gets four Sundays. Well, Ruth is four chapters, but it's getting one Sunday. Uh, so we're just going to have to like take a deep breath. And um, I actually don't even have slides on the screen for you. Like, Ruth, I just want you to hear it. We'll hear it, and we'll see how the dots are connected. So all that's going to be behind me is like an image. That's it. Right, so if you want to follow along in the Bible that you have brought, be it paper Bible, be it on your phone, if you want to just listen, that is fine. But we want to see God's faithfulness through the book of Ruth. And as we start, we just want to remember where it is positioned, which is in the time of the judges. So we finished Joshua, finished Joshua last week, but our reading is done with Joshua. And we're entering into a new era of Israel's history, which is in between coming into the land and the kingdom. Okay, so we're in between, in that area, that period is called the time of the judges. And judges were those that God set up to rule that would deliver Israel from bondage because other countries, other nations, surrounding nations would come in and oppress those people because of the disobedience that Israel was doing. Now remember this, God said, if you obey, blessing, if you disobey, curse. Like, so if you follow me, good. If you don't follow me, other nations are going to come up. They're going to take you. They're going to take you captive. They're going to oppress you. And so the book of Judges follows that entire cycle time and time and time again. Every chapter you read, you'll be following that cycle. The book of Ruth is placed within that cycle, okay? So the book of Ruth comes during the Judges, but you don't see in the book of Judges any reference to Ruth. You just see the narrator go, in the time of the Judges. So that's where we're going to be as we go through Ruth chapter 1, where we realize that God uses broken people. It's the first thing we get to see. God uses broken people. And we're going to be introduced to some of the main characters. We get introduced to another significant character in chapter 2. So it begins like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there we go, there was a famine in the land, which was common during the time of the judges. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, a neighboring nation, he and his wife and his two sons. So a family of four goes over to another nation. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two younger sons were Mahlon and Kilion. 
They were Ephrathites, not Ephraimites, which is a different group, but the Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two sons took Moabite wives, so the wives from the land that they were in. The name of one wife was Orpah, and the other one was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So from verse 1 to verse 5, we have three people dead and two added. Family of four moves to another nation, husband, sons die, and so now it's Naomi left with her daughters-in-law, left with two daughters-in-law who are from Moab. So she's about to give them some advice. Now, the advice is uh, perhaps theologically obscure because the time of the judges, people weren't really walking at times that closely with the Lord. In fact, there's this kind of famous phrase that you'll see at the back end of the book of Judges, which is, in that time there was no king, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so we have Naomi talk to her daughters-in-law here, starting in verse 6. She, she arose, went with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had learned the, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And it's the cycle you see in Judges. That there's a, oppression, and then God comes, and like, he blesses his people as they return in obedience. And so he, she hears, okay, God is back, and so we're going to return. So she set out from the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her, two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, uh, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. She kissed them, they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may, that may become your husbands? Turn back, go your way. I am too old to have a husband. If I, sh- if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband that, uh, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? So she's like, I'm not going to, you know, like, even, you're going to wait what? Just to say I could have a kid. You're going to wait until, I, until those kids are grown up, like just along in my household? Come on. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, no, no. It is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the land of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So now we're having a dividing part happening here between Orpah and Ruth, these Moabitesses. She said, see? So Naomi looks, talks to Ruth and goes, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods because the whole people, clan, nation, it was all kind of associated together. And so you're going to your people, you're going to your gods, look at that. Return after her. Ruth said, don't urge me to leave or to return from following you for where you go, this is what some of you have on your wedding band, for where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, your people shall be my people, your God will be my God, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord, Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, uh, uh, I'm sorry, if anything but death departs, from, uh, departs me from you. And when Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she Naomi said, no more. Okay, come on. So now we have two people returning to the land, back to Bethlehem in Judah, right? So now Naomi and Ruth are going back. 
Ruth has had her statement. I don't even know if she, it's not this fully orbed theology. Ruth just goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. And I'm going to then take on what you do. Your, your rhythms, your people, your culture, your God. I'm going to follow that. And so she goes. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Bethlehem, right, it's kind of the place that we hear some specific and, and important people being born, Bethlehem in Judah. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This is the word meaning bitter. I went away full, family of four, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Ruth's probably like, come on, empty? I'm here? Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, it's going to get us ready in a second for chapter 2, but let's just stay in chapter 1 for a moment. Chapter 4 is going to show us all that God did to secure his purposes, which we started reading about even in Genesis 12, Genesis 3. But we're going to see in chapter 4 how that all comes together. But what we have right now, and Naomi doesn't know this, and Ruth doesn't know this, and the character that we'll be introduced to in chapter 2 doesn't know this, but that God is even using the brokenness of Naomi's life, and she is even using the brokenness of Ruth, who, because we have two widows now who are moving back to a land, and now the people of Bethlehem must take care of them. After 10 or so years, you go, how do they even still remember? Well, these are close-knit communities. So when Naomi, Naomi comes back, of course she's going to be remembered, and they're going to talk about it. It's going to be the, you know, the buzz of the town. But she's coming back differently, isn't she? She's coming back hurt. She's coming back, and she admits it, bitter because of what life has, seems to have handed to her. Are any of you ever embittered by what you have? That you look at your stage, you look at your station, you look at your conditions, you look at your family, you look at your job, you look at your life, and you just go, I don't want this. I don't want this. In this moment in chapter one, Naomi's not like, this is awesome. It's just me and Ruth hanging out. Because their whole cultural value was going to be tied to their household, and now they had none. Right? They, they didn't have a source of income. They didn't have people to support them. They didn't have people who were going to watch after them. They're now moving back with no ties, no tether, no help. But she knows, because this is her land, that when the Lord returns and there's a harvest, that I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my land. And we need to remember this idea, even from chapter one, that even in brokenness, God is at work. Even in pain, God is at work. Even in things that seem hopeless, God is at work. Now the problem at chapter one, kind of if we just stay there, is no one knows what's going on. In fact, when we get to chapter four, they still don't know what's going on. It takes then some commentary on what has happened to realize the significance of what is even going on in chapter one and what is going on in chapter two and the bulk of chapter four. So we kind of end now, and there's this transition stage which is at the beginning of the barley harvest, which gets us to chapter two. We get introduced to a new character here, and we get to see his generosity toward Ruth and Naomi because of what he does. So, Naomi 
Some commentary from uh, our author here, verse 1. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, Go, my daughter. Now, there was something, there was a, uh, a, a law that was given to Israel that was like, Don't take all of your harvest, don't take everything. You have to leave some of the grain along the sides of the field for those who might have need. And so God was even building into how Israel operated that, that you can't take it all for yourself. There are always going to be people who have need. And so when you're harvesting, leave some behind so that those who need something can have it. It's kind of an interesting way of life. We don't live with any margin. We don't live with any excess, do we? Like, we don't ever think about what we could ever provide, like what God has provided for us and how that might be able to bless other people as well. We're kind of like, just consume it all. And God builds into how he wanted Israel to operate, to go, no, 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 don't consume it all. Leave some for others. But yet we so often are going like 102% of what we take in. We're just kind of living our life to the max, redlined. And yet we wonder like, how come I can't be more generous? Well, we're not even really considering others and how we structure and assemble our lives. So Ruth goes, okay, well, I'm going to go to a field and I'm going to look for favor. And verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, people who were harvesting. And this is, this is fun, right? There's kind of a little... I right here. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. She just so happened to stumble into Boaz's field. Now, she doesn't know that. So what we have is there's a comment about Boaz at the beginning of chapter 2, and then Ruth goes, I'm going to go out into the fields. Naomi goes, go ahead. And then the narrator goes, and she just so happened. Has anything ever just so happened in your life? You know, like, you know, and I just so happened to be at the same place with the person that I was praying about the day before. And now, right, we're going to do. Now, I just so happened to be praying recently that I could uh, be more faithful in how I talk to people about the Lord. And I just so happened to bomb that on two occasions in the past week. Um, that just so happened, that was my just so happened. And as I'm praying again, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I, like, I did it. Praise God for his grace. But as we see in chapter 3, the statement of just so happened. There's no just so happened here. There's nothing. She just so happened. Just so happened. We could like put air quotes on it. Like just so happened to go. Now in the moment, she's just going to the field. She doesn't know what's going on. But she goes to the field of Boaz. And behold, verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Dun, 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 right? It's like this kind of cool, like, you know, shiny teeth moment. He walks in. And Boaz said to his young man who's in charge of the reapers, hey, who, who, whose young woman is this? He's probably seen people before taking from his fields. But he has to ask, like, this, this is a new person. So whose person is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, well, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. I love the detail. I love the detail. She was here from early morning until now, but she did take a short break. Like the Lord in his superintending of the authorship of Ruth just goes, and just know like she didn't work all you know, seven hours or whatever it might be. Like She took a break. She had lunch, whatever it might be, but no, she took a break. So Boaz says to Ruth, listen, 
Don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So he's actually protecting her, creating kind of a workplace discrimination policy. Have I not charged them uh, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to them, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward might be given by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, that wings image comes up again in chapter 3. She said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, little El Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And she rose to glean and Boaz Boaz instructed the young men saying, let her glean everything, even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. So let her take what she needs and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Uh, There was this time when I was a kid where I stole quarters from my parents. I'm going somewhere with this, hold on. And, you know, uh, my dad would come and unload his pockets, just like dads sometimes do at the end of the day, and there would be sometimes lots and lots of quarters. Probably because of the toll booth, I don't really know. But also, one thing that my elementary school had was a pencil machine. You guys remember pencil machines with, like, NFL teams on them? And how much did pencils cost? A quarter, right. And I remember one time the amount of quarters increased significantly. Like more than there had ever been. A lot of quarters showed up. And I still think to this day that dad knew what I was doing and he just dropped quarters there. Okay, now Ruth isn't stealing from Boaz, but Boaz is essentially doing the same thing. Hey, leave more. Leave more. Just let her take it. Leave leave bundles. Let her take what she needs. So not not, not just like scraps now. Ruth has moved beyond scraps. She's getting to take chunks of food back for her and for Naomi, which is awesome. So we moved from like, I'm going to go there. So they go to the land. And now there's just tons and tons. Let her glean. Pull out some of the bundles for her. Leave it for her. Don't rebuke her. Don't get mad at her. I shouldn't have stolen quarters, just so you, in case you were wondering the moral of that story. It's my dad's kindness, not my uh, scheming. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had, gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up, went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where did you take this from? This is a ton where you worked. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her, she's probably planning the wedding already. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, 
May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi almost said, this man's a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young man and until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, uh, with, with his young women, lest in another field you'll be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we have a lot of time that happens in chapter two. Well, there is this, uh, it's called leveret marriage, which was the idea that if a wife or a husband dies, the unmarried brother would marry the wife and continue the lineage. Now, now this is not strictly that situation because we have a Moabite wife, okay? So it's a little different. But the spirit of that law still exists with what's going on here. Naomi sees it, she goes, there's somebody who's related to us. There's somebody who's related to us, and this is Boaz, and that's why she goes, he's a redeemer, that idea of kinsman redeemer, is one who can actually redeem the line, provide children. And so, so not strictly that relationship, specifically because Ruth being from Moab, but also in general, the idea of the redeemer was there. And so you don't see the idea of that redeemer regularly throughout scripture, but this is one place where you see that idea of a family redeemer, redeem the line, come into play. Now, so what do we see here? We see the brokenness of Ruth in chapter one. We also see the kindness, the unexpected kindness of Boaz in chapter two and how God uses even that. That God uses the character, the kindness, the resolve, the leadership of Boaz to provide for Ruth. He doesn't just use the broken situation. He uses the righteous and the generous in chapter two. He deals kindly and graciously. And then for us, I think we just need to remember this. We never know what our kindness might be doing in another. Boaz was completely unaware of the side conversation that Ruth and Naomi had when she went home the first day. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Can you imagine that if you just extend kindness to somebody, what kind of conversation might be happening that you never know about? What kind of conversation might be happening that you were clueless to because of the way God was using even just your generosity? And then somebody came along, and they said this, and they did this, and they cared like this, and I didn't deserve it, and I didn't expect it, I didn't even know I wanted it, I didn't even know I needed it, but they were there, and they provided. God used even that, and how did he use it? He used it to keep Ruth close to Boaz. Because imagine if she had a bad day one. You go to the wrong field, you get assaulted, something happens, and it does not go nearly as well as her day one went. Well, that could start a cycle of try again. I guess we try again, try again, try again, find a new place, find this, do this, do this. But she just so happened to go to Boaz's field. And Boaz just so happened to extend kindness to her. And that led to Naomi going, we don't need to go anywhere else. We found the man and he's gonna provide for us what we need. Well, there was much more going on in provision than might have even been anticipated, which brings us to chapter three. Now, before we get into chapter three, I just have to talk about the fact that there are varied opinions about what's going on specifically at the beginning. Because it does seem like Naomi asked Ruth to do some questionable things. I'll use the term questionable because that's how it seems. 
She's essentially like, hey, go at night, dress up, bathe, put on perfume, put on nice clothes, and then I want you to go down to where he's going to be. And I want you to kind of reveal yourself to him, but kind of don't, don't spook him or anything, but kind of just make yourself known to him at night, which sounds like a precarious situation to get in for really anyone. Especially because during the time of the harvest, it might not be uncommon for uh, people to make their way down to where the men might be working for certain reasons. And so Naomi's about to give some advice to Ruth that, as you read commentators, they're going to say, it's like, it, it could be questionable, the kind of advice that she's giving. It seems a little bizarre. This is not generally how you have some kind of discussion about a relationship. Uh, but God uses it nonetheless. So listen to what happens in chapter 3 as Naomi gives the encouragement for Ruth after the harvest season, after she's been there, that there might be some type of redeeming relationship. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that I might be well with you? Should I not seek uh, peace, marriage, family, some kind of Uh, rest in your life? Is not Boaz our relative, which whose young women you were, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. And these are the instructions. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She replied, all that you say I will do, which I love, is like Ruth's just trust in Naomi and what Naomi is doing. So, verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. So Boaz had eaten and he drunk and his heart was merry and he went to lie down at the end of, the, uh, of a heap of grain. He's just sleeping where he works. You ever, ever slept at work? It's the same thing he's doing. He's just going to sleep because it's a busy season, no reason to go home. So he goes to sleep. She came softly, uncovered his feet. Some people think this is a euphemism. I really don't think that. I think that she's uncovering his feet because eventually he'll wake up. And so uncovers his feet. It's going to be a little cool. And so in time, Boaz will awaken. Go, what's going on here? You ever had the blanket kind of taken off your legs? Go, I'm cold again. So she uncovers his feet. She lays down. At midnight... The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman laid his feet. Kind of a bizarre scenario, isn't it? What are you doing here? He said, who are you? It's dark. She said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Listen to this phrase. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We heard that idea of spread your wings, spread your wings. Spread your wings over. Take over our household, my household. He said, may the Lord be blessed May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, but in keeping with the family theme. And now, don't fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman, which highlights the idea that this whole situation is not seductive, right? Because it talks about, shouldn't I seek peace for you? You're a worthy woman. It talks about Boaz's righteousness in chapter two. And so when I look at chapter three, I just go, Naomi's advice might have been a little odd, but the Lord uses the character of Ruth. He uses the character of Boaz and just it, he keeps moving his purposes through. 
So he goes, now, remain tonight, and in the morning, there is somebody closer to you than I am, familiarly closer, so they have kind of the right to redeem. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he's trying to protect even her dignity, right? And so just head on out before people wake up, go. He said, bring the garment you're wearing, hold it out. She held it out. He measured six measures of barley, put it in, and then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fear? How to go, how to go, how to go? She told her all the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So now over to the next morning. Now, what we have, though, in chapter 3 is even God using the circumstance, which could have taken a wrong turn. Let's not make a mistake about that, right? Nighttime visit to the threshing floor could have gone badly, and it didn't. It didn't. Why? Because the Lord was there, and he was using. I love this, because even if I kind of have an imperfect plan, It's not on my imperfection or perfection to see God's purposes through, but on the Lord who is working things to his end. And so as I read that, I was like, oh, that's great. Like Naomi didn't need a bat a thousand. Ruth doesn't need a bat a thousand. Neither does Boaz. God is moving it along, and he uses that situation to continue to bring up about his, his purposes. So success in the realm of the Lord does not depend upon our perfection, but on the Lord's. It doesn't depend upon our ability to get it just right, but God. And that's an important thing for us because I think we weigh a little too heavily sometimes on I need to do it right in order for God to bless it. But the gospel says you can't, won't, never will do it right. That you receive grace and blessing through faith, not through your work. And even when you do work, your work is never gonna be perfect. Serve in faith, do it gladly, do it joyfully, but never think that that's gonna be what allows you to remain faithful with the Lord. He's the one who keeps his purposes to the end. Now, in the next 12 verses of chapter four, as we make that turn, we get, to, we get introduced to the sandal man. Sandal man is the guy who's a little closer to the family. And they go to the gate of the city, which is where business transactions would happen. It's daytime, it's public, so you can say, hey, we're all witnesses to what we're describing today. So starting in chapter four, verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the redeemer from whom Boaz had spoken came by. Hey, here I am. We don't know his name. He gets 12 verses, that's it, and then he's gone. He turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down and he said to the redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So there's land here, and I just want to know, like, you're a redeemer. I thought I'd tell you of it and say, hey, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now, I love this because it's kind of like it's just a legal transaction. It's just the way you're talking about it. Like, hey, just so you know, like, you have the right to it, so go ahead and claim the right, and if you don't, I have the next one, and I'll take that. 
Like, wouldn't you love if this is just how family deliberations went? Just, you know, make up your mind. And if this is what you want, great. Especially when dealing, like, with the estate of somebody. Just, you know, and if you don't want it, great. And if you do, fine. Then you, you get to have it. So they're trying to figure out what to do with Elimelech's estate. But there's a little thing in uh, the back pocket here. I said, I'll take it. Well, Boaz said, hey, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So there's a wrinkle. It's not just land now. The transaction's not as clear. Now you get a wife with the deal. The Redeemer said, I can't, I can't redeem it. I might impair my own inheritance later. So, so take up my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot do it. So he goes, you know what? I can't take that on. So you go ahead and take it as you said you would. I don't know what right to inheritance he might have. People try to figure that out. But he's just going, I would get into my own family issues if I tried to add this to what we're trying to do. So I can't do it. You go ahead and do it. Now, this was the custom. I love this kind of comment because you're reading it and go, why, why in the world do you take a sandal off? This was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and so was the matter of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Kilion and Malon, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. All the people who were witnesses are at the gate and the elder said, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. What a line. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem and may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So now we're getting into this arrangement, right? We've exchanged the sandal and that's because, right, you sign on the dotted line but you don't have a copier so you can't just copy it. So I need to see something. So you can go, no, no, right here, I have your sandal. You made this deal. Everyone saw it. I am the owner of the sandal. You cannot say, oh, sorry, I renege. I'm not going to do it anymore. No, I have your sandal. It's done. Has the sandal. And everyone's like, we see it. And we are going to just pray and eat blessing and go, Lord, could you use this situation? Could you use now this family that's going to go? And might you raise up from it, people? Well, now, now everything's starting to make sense as we get to the end of chapter four. Until then, it's just kind of a nice story, isn't it? Oh, that's sweet, you know, somebody taking somebody else into his house, not letting her be a widow forever. Like, that's very kind. But as it continues, we get a marriage, and we get a pregnancy, and we get a lineage. That's what you see at the end here. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. So now we have married couple, expecting a kid. There's a kid. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child. Said, you know, grandmothers just love holding grandkids. 
Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, became his nurse, started to take care of him. And some of you are probably going to like circle this verse and give it to your children. Be like, just remember, I want to be like this when you have kids. And the women, said, uh, women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, the name of him Obed. His father, he was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Okay? Now, some of you go, oh, I totally got that. I know, I know why all of that connects. But let's just, just go to a couple of things here. First, the beginning of the chapter, Sandalman, God uses this unknown character in a way that he had no idea. He even used his just going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take it on. I'm not going to redeem it. He even used that situation in order to have Boaz and Ruth marry. Now, at generation two, Boaz and Ruth to the next, you just have a, somebody named Obed. Okay, that's cool. You have a, you have a kid. Obed, Obed has a kid named Jesse. Jesse has... Several children, one of them is named David. David is the one who becomes king. The king is the one through whom the Messiah, Jesus, comes. That God was working all of these things out. So let's just take a second here. As we started out this whole series, remember, uh, there was a promise given to Abraham. There was a promise given to Abraham about how his lineage was going to bless the nations. And we followed that along. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all through Genesis. We get into Egypt. Joseph, right? Joseph gets mistreated time and time again. But what happens is the nation of Israel begins to grow in Egypt. Then we get into Exodus. Remember Exodus? And so there's all these plagues and Moses is raised up and Aaron's like, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Then we have the Passover. Remember that? And so the firstborn dies within the nation of Egypt. But if you had the blood of the lamb, your firstborn would not die. Pharaoh goes, I'm sick of it, get out, sends them out. As he sends them out, they go, they cross the Red Sea, God gives them the law, he goes, this is how I want you to live, this is how I want you to act, this is how I want you to serve, I'm going to bring you into the land, but they don't do it, they don't obey, the spies don't obey, the people freak out, so God goes, this generation has to wander in the wilderness, that's the book of Numbers, you have to wander in the wilderness, but even in, we read kind of Numbers, we read Deuteronomy, there's these promises that God's going to provide the king. Actually, at the end of Genesis, there's a blessing spoken, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. There's these things spoken about how there's going to be a king coming from a specific son, a specific tribe. And so all of this is going on. They get into the land, they take the land, they don't do it very well, as we uh, read in Joshua. Like, they drive out some people, but not all people. Joshua dies, we enter into this realm of the judges, and then time and time again... Uh, the nation does kind of well, they raise up a judge, and then they forget God, and this happens for uh, what feels like forever. They go cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. All of this is happening. We move from that, and embedded into that story is Ruth. A widow from Moab who married someone from the house of Elimelech because they left in a famine to go into the land. And there's this gentleman named Boaz who's related to Elimelech who then takes Ruth into his home. They have a child. Ruth becomes part of the lineage of David who becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. And when you connect those dots, you get to see chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, that God is not just 
giving Ruth, you know, a happy life. He's not just making Naomi feel better or less bitter. What he is doing is preserving to the end the things that he had promised. And even as they have this child, they don't know what's going on. They don't recognize it. They just have Obed. They're happy to have a child. Naomi's happy. She's like, oh, a grandkid. Finally, I get to have a grandkid. I waited so long to have grandkids. And then generation, 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 what do we see? We see David. We'll get to David here really soon um, in the plan. We're going to see next week um, the first king, Saul, and that doesn't go too well. And then we'll get to David and the Davidic covenant, how God promises that he's going to have a king forever on the throne. But none of that happens had God not used the situations in Ruth to bring about a lineage that brings about a savior. That our faith in part is possible because of God's sustaining grace in the lives of some widows. That we believe because God was working through bitterness and through pain and through righteousness and through scenarios and through people whose names we don't even know, who didn't want to redeem, who just take off their sandals and go, you do it. It's crazy to think that you and I are here in part because of what God did to Ruth the Moabitess. But we are. You're actually in this room today because of something God did through four chapters of Ruth during the time of the judges where there weren't a lot of good things to talk about in the history of Israel. But the one thing that you can talk about is the faithfulness of God. Remember that sunrise? That God's always working something. He's always building towards something. He's always doing something. He was doing it here. It took generations to even know in that moment what was going on. But he was doing something. And we are recipients of his grace and faith in the Lord Jesus because of what he was doing even there. So I would just say this, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever moment you're in, you need to know this. No God is at work. That God was at work before you. Yeah, remember Ruth, just kind of the story embedded into the judges? Yeah, God was at work then. God was at work before you. God is at work now in what is going on. And God is at work after us. Even when Ruth is just a memory, there's David. God is always at work. We often don't have the long-suffering, the patience, the endurance to wait through decades or generations to realize what God is doing. But he is always at work. And because of that, we can have such confidence in him. Try your own plans Try to work something out. Just go ahead. If you want to do it, go ahead and try to work out a plan that produces for you a scenario like the book of Ruth. All right, my daughter's going to marry somebody, but he's going to die. We're going to move. We're going to move back. We're going to find somebody. We're going to have to do this. The whole kids like, like, try it. You will not succeed. The only one whose purposes succeed are God's. 
And time and time again, he is reminding us that he is at work and that his promises endure and that he is faithful. He can be trusted. I don't know what you're trusting in. I don't know where your confidence might lie today. I don't know where it'll be tomorrow, but I do know where it should be. I know where mine should be, which is in him over anything else at any time and in any way because he is good and he is at work. So pray with me that we might hold on to these truths, believe them and live in them being true. Heavenly Father, there is nothing that we can do without you. You are the one at work. You are the one moving. You are the one in control. You are the one who has power. And we praise you for your activity in the book of Ruth that brings to us your faithfulness and how you work to bring about your purposes. So God, humble our hearts. Teach us to trust that we might follow after you more than anyone, more than anything. Use our brokenness, use our bitterness, use our speech, use our leadership, use our character, all those things that you have formed, all those places you have brought us, use that to bring about your purpose as God, that the world might know the goodness of Jesus and we might follow him and worship him with all that we have. We pray it in his name. Amen.